Welcome everyone to Parallel Church, one church in five physical locations, plus an online campus. So let's welcome everyone that's joining us this morning in Tabor Pastor Renee and Jill. Welcome to you guys. Welcome Clarison with Pastor Brian and Heidi. Welcome to you guys. Welcome Okotoks with Pastor Joel and Tanisha. Welcome Lloyd Mister with Pastor Mike and Kara. Welcome Lethbridge. And welcome all of you joining us online, wherever you're watching from around the world. Welcome to all of you, and welcome to a brand new series. We spent the last series uh, talking about rethink and, uh, you know, rethinking some things. And God's kind of honestly been convicting me on rethinking some things. And one of the things that he's been convicting me on is you might have noticed um, that I pick on religion a lot, and I don't have a whole lot of good things to say about the religious version of Christianity. Anybody notice that? Uh, I pick on it a lot, and I kind of, I, I kind of pick on where the church gets it wrong, and we talk about that because many of us, honestly, in talking with many of you, and we've grown up in religious areas, and and many of us come from religious backgrounds, and many of us have lots of hurts and pains, and and we do that. But I, I got convicted on picking on what the church gets wrong all the time. And so I'm going to do a series. We're going to do a series on when the church gets it right. Is that good? We're going to celebrate when the church gets it right. And we're going to talk. This series is going to be called For Love and Impact. And we're going to talk about the impact that the church has had over the centuries, uh, over over the the last two thousand years, and when the church has got it right, and I want I want if you're a note taker, we're going to go through some history. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to take this because here's here's one of the reasons why I want to do this is because many of you have conversations like I do um, that when somebody finds out you're a Christian, or for me, when somebody finds out I'm a pastor, I feel like something inside of me shrinks a little bit, and I'm like, oh no. When they, when they begin this conversation because they're going to, all the things and the church has done wrong and the church does this and the church hurt here and the church did that. And honestly, I'm like, you're right. But how many of you like to be armed with some information and going, yeah, you know when the church got it right? You know when we changed? Because we, I mean, a lot of people know and focus on when the church got it wrong. And they're not wrong. But we got, anyone else want to be armed with when the church got it right? How we can, can just go, hey, yeah, but did you know that if it wasn't for Jesus and his followers, the state of the world today would be so much worse? Don't believe me yet. You will at the end of this series, I promise you. Maybe after the end of this message. We're going to start in, in Isaiah 42. And this is a, a prophet hundreds of years before Jesus was born prophesied this about Jesus, and, and I just want to focus on this a little bit, uh, and because some of this is, some of this prophecies you've read as, as Christians, maybe many of you have read, especially around Christmas time, we start reading prophecies about Jesus, but we don't necessarily focus on exactly what the prophecies were, and so let's kind of pull this apart a little bit. This is what Isaiah said, Isaiah 42, 1 said, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, talking about Jesus, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and here's the prophecy, he will bring forth justice to the nation of Israel. It doesn't say that. He said, he will bring forth justice to the nations. An ancient prophet foretold that Jesus would bring justice to the nations to the entire world. And in many ways, this has already been fulfilled. 
Jesus and his followers, the church, have led world-changing innovations that we're going to talk about over the next number of weeks that have bettered education. Did you know, did you know, and we'll talk about this over the next number of weeks, did you know that you can credit public educations, secondary education, universities, and all the rest of it, did you know that you can credit all of that to Christians and to his church? Did you know that the, uh, the, the innovation of hospitals and public health care you can credit to Christians and to his church? Did you know that social justice, much of the social justice that we have and many of the laws that we have around the world you can credit to Christians, to Jesus and his followers and to his church? Did you know that social services around the world, you can credit much of that, you can credit to the church, to Jesus and to his word. Much of what was prophesied is, is true. And I, I mean, some of you are looking at me like, what? We're going to walk through some history and see this. Jesus himself said this. And he's continuing what Isaiah said in, in Isaiah 42. He's quoting Isaiah 42. Jesus himself said this. When he announced his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he stood in front of, you know, the, the synagogue and he read out of Isaiah, but he read with such authority that those in attendance realized that he wasn't just reading scripture, that he was reading scripture and saying, this is being fulfilled right now. And he said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, Jesus is saying this, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. You've read that? You've heard this probably before? But I want, I want to focus on something and how ironic it was that when Jesus says this, there's a couple times he says that he's going to proclaim release to the captives and set free those who are oppressed. Twice he talks about captives and set free those who are oppressed. It doesn't mean as much to us today as it did when Jesus said these things. Because when Jesus said these words, did you know that it's estimated that 40% of the world's population, when Jesus said these words were slaves. 40% of the world's population were slaves, were captives. And when Jesus stands up and says with authority, I have come to proclaim release to the captives and set free those who are oppressed, 40% of the world's population, when Jesus said those words, were slaves. Oppressed. And Jesus predicted in, in saying these words, Isaiah predicted in saying these words that Jesus predicted that he, that he and his followers would break the bonds of slavery. Now, something ironic to me, and, and many of you know, and if you don't, I'll, I'll let you know, I love history, and I love in particular biblical history, and I love, I love studying the history of how our Bible got compiled and put together because the reason why is because I was raised with some preconceived ideas of, of the Bible and, and how it was put together and how it was formed. But something caught my attention. And I'm going to read, bear with me, I'm going to read an entire book of the Bible to you right now. Whew. Don't worry, it's not Psalms. It's the book of Philemon. And, and the reason I'm going to read this to you, because I want to read this, because here's the question. I'm reading this to you because I'm like, why? Why is this in the Bible? 
Why is this included? And in particular, why 300 years after it was written did the followers of, of Jesus, the church, when they compiled and they, they compiled and said and decided which books are going to be kept and which books are not going to be kept and what's going to form the Bible, why 300 years later, after this is written, did they say, hey, we should include this? Because I'll, I'll read it to you just in case you're ordinary, so that you can wonder just like me. Says Paul, because sometimes we don't, don't we, we just assume and just don't even think about it and don't ask the questions and we just take it and going, oh, that's that's in the Bible. But why? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to our that guy, Archippus, our our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. I kind of. Never saw that before, but the church or the ecclesia in your house. That's very cool. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and your faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Like this is a private letter, right? So far, Paul's just gushing on Philemon and all the rest of it. Okay. Then he says, therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, <laughs> yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you since I, that, that's kind of like boss talk. Like I could tell you what to do, but I'd rather just appeal. Like in a letter, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in, in imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you uh, um, in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wished to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, to beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and to the Lord. If you then regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Wow. Then he says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self as well. <laughs> your salvation, you owe it to... Anyway, I was like, wow, bold. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, also prepare me as lodging for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you and then he goes on to list, and, and the grace of the Lord Jesus be on, on you. And he goes on to list, uh, say hi to this guy, say hi to this guy. That's the first time in 20-some years, 26 years of ministry that I have ever 
preached from Philemon or read from that book of the Bible, as far as I know. And I, I, I'm looking at it going, okay, first of all, why is this included in the Bible? This is a private letter. Paul himself says, I wrote this with my own hand. It's a private letter from Paul to Philemon, one guy, on behalf of another guy, Onesimus. So you have to do some history and go, who's Onesimus? Onesimus used to be the slave of Philemon. And Onesimus ran away, escaped. In the process of him running away and escaping, Philemon becomes a believer. And Paul writes, Paul writes to Philemon and goes, hey, uh, you remember Onesimus? He's become valuable to me, and I know, but you own him still. I'm sending him back to you because you own him. I'm asking you, I'm writing you a letter. I'm asking you to accept him not as a slave anymore, but as a brother. And so he says this. This is what he says in verse 16. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord? Okay. cool. Why is that in our Bible? What does that have to do with my salvation? What does that have to do with my theology? What does it have to do with me getting to heaven? What does it have to do with Jesus? Like, what does it have to do? Except for everything. Because it was prophesied about Jesus that he would bring, what, justice to the nations. And Jesus said, I have come to set the captives free. And it was included in the Bible because it is expected of believers. To do what? You've heard me preach this scripture 100 times, and you're going to hear me preach it 150 times more, probably. Galatians 5, 6, Paul wrote this. The only thing that counts is faith, your faith, expressing itself through love. In other words, Christianity is not just about getting to heaven. Christianity is not just about your faith between you and God. Christianity is not just fire insurance. (laughs) Christianity is about making an impact on our world. And the early church, listen to me carefully, the early church felt it so important that they included an entire book, which is a private letter from Paul to Philemon. They included and said, that's got to be in our Bible. Because that shows the heart of Jesus, but it also shows the mission for the church. We can't just believe that Jesus set me free. We must in turn use that freedom to help others get free. Paul said it in Galatians 5. After verse 6, he goes on, he says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use this freedom to indulge the flesh, or to just be, just to make yourself happy. Serve one another humbly, there it is again, in love, For the entire law. Jesus said the law is love God, love one another. The entire law, Paul says, is keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he's saying to the church, you can't love God without having an impact on somebody else. It has to be love and impact. 
Come on, church, right? Now, I looked at this and I was like, the entire book of the Bible, at Philemon, I was like, what impact did that have in history? Only, the only effect that it had is, did you know, I'm going to put up a list of names right now on, on the screen. And here's a list of the most influential, oh, this is giving me shivers already, abolitionists in history. Some of these names you will recognize. Okay, some of these names you might not recognize, but these are the most impactful people throughout history, abolitionists. And did you know, this is what I discovered, did you know, did you know that no, not, that every single one of these people on this list were Jesus-fearing, God-fearing Christians? And did you know that every single one of them use the book of Philemon as a foundation to say we need to ab you know, abolish the slave trade. When others were using the Bible to say, see, there's slaves in the Bible too, they're saying, no, 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 no. Hold on. Jesus came to set the captives free. They used the words of Jesus and they used the book of Philemon as saying this is God's heart is to set captives free. No, I have a favorite on this list because I watched the movie uh, Amazing Grace. Anybody else seen the movie Amazing Grace? And my favorite on this list, and maybe one of the most influential people of all, um, is actually uh, William Wilberforce, third from the bottom. William Wilberforce was uh, a politician, a remarkable politician in, in Britain, in the U.K., He's remarkable because he got elected uh, to be an MP in the British Parliament when he was just 21 years old and was still attending university. <laughs> like, but in his, in his early mid-20s, about 24, 25 years old, he became uh, a Christian. And after he became a Christian, he set the rest of his life and his career on one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to, to make it illegal the slave trade illegal, which was no small feat because much of the Brit British economy, much of the British expansion of the, the entire, you know, uh, most powerful empire in this time uh, in the, on the world was driven by the slave trade. So when he stands up there, he, he's standing up in parliament and time after time after time, and, and he says some very, very powerful things. And what's amazing is that after 20 years, over 20 years of this fight, he was successful, and the first law was put into place. In 1833, the, the British Parliament passed the Slavery Abolition Act, making it illegal in the British Empire to own slaves. Remarkable. This is, but William Wilberforce also wrote a book called Real Christianity, Sounds like somebody was saying the same things. I was like, oh. And this is what he said in this book. Look at this. This is a quote from it. It says, is it not the great end of religion and in particular the glory of Christianity to extinguish the malignant passions, including slavery, 
to curb violence, to control the appetites, and to smooth the asperities of men, to make us compassionate and love and forgiving one another, to make us good husbands, good fathers, good friends, and to render us active and useful in the discharge of the relative social and civil duties. In other words, that's parliament talk for, isn't it? Come on, isn't it, isn't it the role of, of Christianity to impact the world and to, and, to, and, to, and to do this? Isn't it our job? This is what he's saying. It's not, it's not, it's not parliament. Isn't it our job as Christians to set the captives free? Isn't it our job? 1833, they passed the law. The, the impact of that one law being passed had ripple effects on the rest of the world. And in particularly in India, under British thing, and eight to nine million slaves were set free in India. Like, amazing. And in 1890, the, the Brussels Conference Act of 1890 made, made it illegal around the world for slaves to be owned, slavery to be owned. All led by a believer who took the word of God, and particularly the book of Philemon and the, book, and the promise of Jesus and the words of Jesus, and said, this is our job, and stood up and made this kind of impact. Isn't that amazing? Now, what's sad today is that while slavery is illegal, there's an, an illegal slave trade happening. In fact, the International Labor Organization reports at any given time, it's an estimated that 40 0.3 million people are in modern slavery. The UN reports that number to be at least 27 million. Either way, 27 million, 40 million, way too much. What's heartbreaking about this is that over half of those are reported to be children. And what's even more heartbreaking is that 1.2 million children are estimated to be in sex trafficking slavery right now. 1.2 million children. What's even worse is that, do you know what the leading um, income around the world is right now? An estimated $150 billion a year is a profited from uh, in human trafficking, just surpassing the drug trade. So, with that being said, I don't think our job's done yet. Hey, church, I don't think if if I, when I read history and I went, okay, hundred percent, hundred percent of. The slave trade and, and slavery being made illegal can be credited to Jesus and his followers. I dare you to find an abolitionist who, who wasn't a believer. It's remarkable, remarkable, remarkable. But our job's not done yet. William Wilberforce said this, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. Just gave you stats. You may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say that you did not know. And church, listen to me, I'm looking right into all of our campuses. This is not happening just overseas or around the world. 
This is happening right here. In fact, this is happening, and this has happened right within our church. Children within our church and in our children's ministry have been trafficked. Unknowingly, right under our noses. One of them, and I don't think she'd mind me saying, one of them is our campus pastor in Okotoks. Raised in this church. Unknowing to her parents, unknowing to the church, unknowing to anybody. Caught in slavery herself. You may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again you did not. No. Command of God in Psalm 82 verse 3 is this. This is a command of God given to us to defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This is the command of God in our Bibles given to whom? To us. William Wilberforce again said this, surely the principles of Christianity lead to action as well as meditation. I'm hoping you catch a theme. Christianity is more than a personal faith. We must have a public impact. So church, today I am excited to make an announcement that has been over seven years in the making. You may or may not know that we have an organization started by my wife many years ago called Not For Sale, which is Not For Sale is a ministry right within our church that has uh, a heart to rescue children from the sex trade. And Not For Sale has done just that. Rescuing is, uh, I think the youngest one we rescued was six years old in Cambodia. But we've been battling for over seven years to be licensed, to be able to open up a home, our own home, and run that home in Mexico. Turn your attention to the screen. Not For Sale began as a response to a desperate need in the world, a need so hidden that many don't know it's out there. There are an estimated 1.2 million children trafficked every year. Around 27 million people are in enforced labor and half of those are estimated to be children. Those numbers aren't just facts, they're people. They're precious lives of innocent children who should never have to face these realities. Imagine a little girl, cold, in tattered clothes, hungry and scared, while other little girls are dreaming about new dolls or new books. She doesn't dare dream about even a warm, safe bed, food in her belly, someone she can trust to make the nightmares go away. But what if that changed? After a long time waiting, pressing in, Working through international logistics, we are excited to announce that our doors have opened. Our not-for-sale home in Mexico is up and running, 
All the pieces have come together and we are so thrilled to welcome girls into our home. This isn't just removing each girl from a harsh environment, but providing a home where she is warm, loved, and allowed to be little again, where she can enjoy meals, have clothing, and people who love and care for her, where she can be secure and safe, knowing she is in a good place, a place of hope and healing. And the best part? That dream is going to be a reality for some little girls this Christmas. In a beautiful home with other little girls opening gifts on Christmas morning. In this next season, we will be welcoming 10 girls into our home, a home that was established over seven years of a roller coaster of joys and victories, setbacks and frustrations. Through faith, prayer, and support of people like you, together we are able to change the world for some precious girls. We are able to say, welcome home for Christmas. That is actual footage from inside our home in Mexico that is now open. Come on. Why did it take seven years to get the license to do that? Because we are the first home, the first children's home to be, to be granted a license by the government of, of Mexico since 2014. The first home. Because of a tragedy that happened in 2014, they kind of locked everything down. We're like roadblock after roadblock. We're going, what is happening? And we didn't realize the big major things overcoming. Our team had many, 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 many opportunities to give up and saying no. We, we just give up and walk away, and it's not going to happen. And then through prayer and through persistence and through the team doing it, the first license granted the government of Mexico since 2014 to open up a home and fully go, and yet 10 girls are going to be in there for this Christmas. Come on. Did you know that you can become involved as well? In all of this and saying, man, I know it moves some of you in, in many ways and going, man, I wish how, if we know this, now that we know this is going on and this is going underneath our noses and all the rest, what can we do? There's much that can be done. And in fact, there's a table in the lobby with not for sale stuff and, and you can become an advocate, which is just saying, I'm going to take on this cause and I'm going to be a William Wibbleforce in, in many ways and just be vocal about it and become an advocate and tell other people about it. And how do I do that? Well, the team has created an advocate kit for you that, that you can get the, what do I do next? It'll lay it out for you. Because come on, church, we're not just about putting on services on a Sunday. I hope you know that by now. We're not just about a personal faith. I hope you know that by now. We're, we're on a mission for love and impact to change our communities and to impact the world around us. You can become an advocate today. And on December 3rd, just 
Three more weeks from now, we are going to be having our year-end offering, and part of that offering, if you're saying, I want to give in some way, part of that offering is going to go towards funding our not-for-sale home. Did you know it takes, like, we just hired five more staff just in the last couple of weeks in Mexico. It's taking eight to ten staff, I believe, to run just the home to have ten girls in there because of the traumas and the schooling and all the different things, the counseling and all the different things, the house mothers and the security and all of that to be able to... to to bring these girls, not just into a safe home, but rehabilitating them and training them, equipping them so they can go to the world changed and transformed with the love of Jesus. It's amazing. Today's takeaway is another quote from William Wilberforce, and it's simply this, let it not be said that I was silent when they needed me. Man, that motivated me. Let it not be said that I was silent when they needed me. He also said, to live our lives and miss the great opportunity we were designed to accomplish is truly a sin. It's inconceivable that we can be bored in a world with so much wrong to tackle, so much ignorance to reach, and so much misery we could alleviate. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? For love and impact when the church gets it right. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for answering our prayers. God, I thank you for making a way where there was no way. Lord, I thank you for the team. I thank you for your favor. I thank you for the opportunities. I thank you, Lord, for the persistence. And I thank you most of all for answered prayer. God, we commit our time to you and each one to you now. In Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for those 10 little girls about to walk into their home for Christmas. I pray that they would so sense your love, your acceptance, your grace. And I pray, Lord, that they be restored completely to full confidence in you. In Jesus' name.